Our text is from the epistle reading we heard a few moments ago from Romans chapter 10. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's Romans 10, 17. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, faith in Christ, faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus, it's created when a person hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his life, death, and resurrection for us, And the Holy Spirit creates such faith in that person's heart. No one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. So we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or chapter 1, verse 12. And so the small catechism in the explanation of the third article of the Apostles' Creed. You remember this from confirmation. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified, and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, He calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. So then our sermon text from Romans 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Obviously obviously then, in order for someone to become a Christian, they must themselves hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means they have to hear about Jesus, they have to hear about his suffering, they have to hear about death and his death for their sins. They have to hear about his resurrection from the dead for their justification before God. And they have to hear about his ascension to the right hand of God and his sending of the Holy Spirit. That's what they need to hear. Actually spoken to them. But pastor, pastor, this generation, it doesn't want to hear these things. It doesn't want to hear about these things. It doesn't want to listen to these things about Jesus. So we are told. But I don't think that's right. I think more accurate would be to say that the generation before this generation... And the generation before that no longer wished to speak of Jesus to the generation of today. Why? Well, they don't want to cause offense. They don't want to drive children and grandchildren away from church. They don't want to alienate younger relatives with the ideas of sin and the forgiveness of sin, of hell and heaven, of damnation and redemption. But that's also harsh, Pastor. Harsh. It's difficult. Authoritarian. Judgmental. Invasive. Well, okay. Okay. So how has that worked? How has it worked not to speak of Jesus to our friends and family and co-workers and neighbors? 
Have they, as a result of our passivity in joy, followed us to church? Hasn't worked, has it? For they haven't, have they? Why? Well, the creation of anything, the creation of anything, even faith, ultimately is somewhat of a violent thing. Yes, the creation of anything, even faith, ultimately is somewhat of a violent thing. That's right, violent. I was thinking of this on vacation a couple weeks ago, and I was thinking about it because in order to uh, arrive safely at our campsite, I had to keep hold of the reins of our old truck and the trailer as it hurled down the road, plowing through the air, rumbling over concrete and asphalt at 70 miles an hour, the engine of the truck remaining at a steady 203 degrees, the wheels, the bearings, and all sorts of other things turning over and over and over again, and oil and grease dissipating the heat being built up in each moving part. Just driving down the road in a truck. How violent is that? But how about what has to occur for a simple garden to be planted? What about all of the actions that need to take place for a batch of cookies to be made? Things have to be broken. Things have to be torn open. Things have to be poured out. Things have to be moved. Certain, of course, is that absolutely nothing will be created, nothing will be made, nothing will be done if all that we do is passively saunter through life. No, to do anything, to do anything, something violent has to be done. Things must be moved. Force must be applied. Gravity worked against in some way. So the gospel of Jesus. It's not a passive thing. It's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. So the preaching of Christ. And when I came to you, so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come as someone superior in speaking, ability, or wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I also was with you in weakness and fear and in great trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of mankind, but on the power of God. By its very nature, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God, it's going to be offensive. It's going to confront. It's going to pierce, pierce to the very heart of the, the person hearing it violently, and it has to. It has to, this gospel of Jesus, this gospel of sins sending us to damnation, but sins forgiven through Christ, ushering us into salvation. Yes, the gospel has to be powerful, powerful enough to overcome the devil who takes up residence in people and stays there until forcefully evicted by the Holy Spirit. Or the world which would keep us away from Christ and will use any means it has to do so. And our flesh, our flesh, that voracious narcissist living within us, 
which would have us serve it our entire lives. Gospel has to be powerful enough to clean all of that away. The week before I gave my first big presentation in Germany years ago now at a conference, I, I lost my voice. So I went to our nurse practitioner who pres- prescribed uh, vitamin C tablets. And after a couple of days, nothing had improved. And with the date looming at which I'd need to speak, I went to a doctor and told her what was going on. And she looked at the tablets, the vitamin C tablets, and with Dane, she threw them on the table and said, these aren't going to do a thing. She prescribed an antibiotic. Within two days, I was speaking again. The virus afflicting me had to be met with force. The devil, the world, and our flesh has to be met with force, with that which can pierce our very hearts and souls, and that is the Word of God, wielded by the Holy Spirit, the only thing powerful enough to accomplish a true conversion within us. But, returning to our first point, if we don't want to admit that, if we don't want to deal with the discomfort, the struggle itself, if we don't want to experience someone being reclaimed by the Holy Spirit of God with power and great might, then let's just keep giving people the spiritual and social vitamins of pleasant company and encouragement and friendliness without ever attempting to speak to them the mighty works of God, which he accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. The pastor, I've tried that. I've, I've tried that. And it, and it just causes tension. It causes problems. I've lost friends trying to talk about Jesus. I even have an adult child that doesn't want to talk to me anymore. Okay. Then patience is in order. Patience for an opportunity to speak. And prayer. Pray that you'll be given an opportunity to speak. Or pray that our loving Heavenly Father will place someone else in that person's life to whom they will listen. Now think about it. We don't just hear about Jesus from one person in our lives. I grew up listening to my father, to his sermons in church every Sunday, and we also had home devotions. And when we were really little, my mom would read those arch books to us. But I also remember a summer vicar we had at our church when I was very young who ran our VBS. He was very impressive. And a pastor who ran a summer camp I attended in the eighth grade. My doctor in high school talked to me about Jesus a science professor at college, a Greek professor, a Latin professor, a music professor, all of whom spoke to me about Jesus. And there were professors and friends at the seminary, my godparents, my brother, an elderly woman in Middleville who, as a parting gift when I left there, gave me a calendar for the year, a calendar upon which she had written a Bible verse every single day, 365 Bible verses for me. How long 
is a list of people in my life, the people that God has placed in my life that have spoken the word of God to me, who continue to speak the word of God to me. So let's not despair. Let's not despair if the person to whom we wish to share the gospel of Jesus has shut their ears to us. Let's pray that our Savior Jesus sends them someone else to whom they will listen. But whatever we do, whatever we do, let's not simply throw up our hands in the air and give up and think that somehow faith doesn't come by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The word of God must go out. The gospel of Jesus must be preached. The good news of the forgiveness of our sin through faith in him must be shared. So the words of Paul, the words of the Holy Spirit, the words of God to the Christians in Colossae, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Of course, the question could be raised as to why we should let the word of God dwell among us richly. Can it just, that is, the Word of God dwell among us in a decent amount? Or maybe just a little bit? Or better yet, can't we just gather together as Christians, as friends, as people, and enjoy each other's company? But you see what happens there. Sure, we can be friends, but in order to be friends in Christ... Faith in Christ must be present, and faith comes only by hearing, by hearing the word of Christ. Amen. Now may the peace which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. We rise and confess our Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.